Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and dwelt among us. What was his life like here on earth? How did the Savior live his final days before his crucifixion? A day that changed the world forever. Join us on the Struggles We Grow From podcast as we look at the life of Jesus. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. John 2, 3-5 Hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. I am Sydney, here with my husband. Austin. <laughs> uh, we are so happy that you are here with us. If this is your first time, welcome. And if you are a regular listener, welcome back. This is going to be the third episode in our series titled Jesus, where we are looking at the life of Jesus, how he lived his life here on earth leading up to his crucifixion. And we are just so excited to be looking at scripture with you. Yeah, this is, again, I said in the last one, I'm going to say it every stinking one that we do is I love the book of John and I like going through it and that's that. So whatever. No, for those of you uh, that are tracking along with us, just encourage you continue reading the book of John as we go through this kind of mini series here on the podcast. And also, I just want to take a moment and say thank you for everyone who's been just really supportive of the podcast, whether it's being a monthly subscriber, supporter to the podcast, whether it's buying merch, whether it's sharing on social media or engaging on social media. Thank you guys. Even even if you just listen, maybe we don't even know who you are, but you just listen. Thank you. Yeah. It means a lot to us. And we're excited to kind of dive into this episode. For me, this one might be one of the ones that I'm looking forward to the most. Because I think there's a lot of things in this first miracle that Jesus is, Jesus does in John chapter 2 that we kind of look over and we miss. Or maybe we don't understand. So we are going to be in John chapter 2 today. Before we kick off, anything on your mind? Nope. No questions, comments, concerns, rebuttals? No, I would like to say mm. that <laughs> I think that this first miracle is taken out of context so much in a lot of songs and just people just taking it. Because if you know this first miracle at all, it's the wedding. And so what does everyone know that happens? He turns water into wine. Water into wine. And as we were sitting down getting ready to record this, just some songs were coming to my mind. And a lot of them just have to do with around the whole idea of like, you know, Jesus needed his wine too, so I'm okay. What songs? Are they country songs? One of them is. (laughs) But I've also seen that in like quotes on things, you know, but that mindset of like, I'm okay to, to have a good time and drink my alcohol and drink however much I want that I need because heck Jesus turned water into wine it's fine. Oh yeah. We So we we love to to use this a lot. So just giving that 
shedding some light on them. Listen, if that is what you get out of this miracle. Lord bless you. <laughs> as we say in the bless South. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Which means you are, I don't know, <laughs> Okay, listen. This, if, you are filling the blank, according to Sydney. And no, okay. For me, it just Growing means. up, if you said something that was just stupid, and an older woman said this to you, it was like, bless your heart, meant like, oh, honey, you so dumb. Okay. So if anybody ever says that to you. You're so they, dumb. It sounds so real stupid. nice. People in the South are really good at saying really mean stuff in such a nice way. So for the outsiders, they just think, oh, people here are so nice. Yeah, they just think we're super kind. They are not. Yeah, I mean, another good example is we've been at a party or we've been somewhere and we're telling a story and we share about the experience. And then, you know, it was just a lot. You know, bless their heart. That's code for that thing was a hot mess. Mm -hmm. So add this to your vocabulary. Bless your heart. (laughs) And it can be whatever you want it to be. Your heart's desire. (laughs) Whatever. Anyways, you want to read this? I mean, it's a giant chunk of scripture. Do you want to read it? Um, Why don't I just read the first few verses and we kind of stop there. That's right. And if you're listening right now, there's a uh, somebody's going mudding. It sounds like on our road. So, you know, bless your heart. Yeehaw. Deep South. Mud. Four by four. I don't. I don't know. Ooh. We're getting out of hand on this one. Go. Go ahead. Take it away, Sydney. All right. So we're in John chapter two, starting with verse one. Mm-hmm. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." And Jesus said to her. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mm. And then, of course, it goes on through verses 6 through 12 with just a lot. There is so, so much to unpack. You know, just think of it. The third day there was a wedding, so... Wedding seasons or weddings in this time period lasted. The third day of what? The third day of the wedding. So weddings in this time period, they lasted like a couple days. It wasn't just like our wedding was 45 minutes and we got out and we got out. I think it was less than 45 (laughs) Listen. Well, then there was like the reception, but the ceremony was short. And then there was the woohoo reception. (laughs) Just ask our parents. We had a good time. I'm talking about wine. Yes. <laughs> Jesus turned water into wine, and everyone's parents was drunk on wine <laughs> at our wedding. Oh, dear. But I digress. Uh, so it's important, like you see already when you talk about numerology, so the study of numbers within scriptures, you already see, hey, this is the third day of a wedding. How long was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. So there's already these parallels being woven in even to the first miracle. 
But what I love so much, and I think people get it out of context, is that there's this moment where Jesus is like, woman, what does this have to do with me? In my head, you're like, you know, you know when your mom's acting crazy? You, I know you know what this is like. <laughs> oh, gosh. But sometimes when your mom is acting crazy, she's like, woman, what are you doing? Mom, if you're listening to this, you know you'd be crazy. I don't have to share it. Anyways, but that's like what comes to my mind. However, when you look at kind of the context of this culture, that kind of phrase like woman wasn't like a, I'm getting on to you. That was like a disrespectful. That was a respectful way to speak to a woman. So he was showing his mother respect, which is really cool in this moment because Jesus is now, he's been baptized by John the Baptist. The spirit has fallen upon him. His earthly ministry is now beginning. He's calling the disciples and what's cool is at this moment. Yeah, I like how Jesus and the disciples are like this package deal. Yeah, they, they're already thick as like, thieves. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Yeah. But I like that because to those whom you are discipling, you have to think about if you really want to show them how to live their life, no matter where they are, you take Take them with you everywhere. Yep. Especially at a wedding party scene. So him and the clique, they rolling up to the wedding. And then in this moment, there's this, like, I don't want to call it tension because it's not a disrespectful tension, but there is this clear shift from Mary being Jesus's mother and her kind of leading her son as you raise children to now Jesus is breaking away from his mother, not in a disrespectful term, but asserting the reality that... Becoming an adult. No, 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 but asserting the reality that now what he does is all determined upon what the Father has said or decreed or predestined for new, prepared beforehand. So that whole thing where he says, my hour has not yet come, every time he says hour outside of this, if I remember correctly, it's about his suffering and his death. So there's this shift right, right now. It's not, hey, it's not my problem. It's like, mom, my hour has not yet come. This doesn't have anything to do with me. He's making a difference between what's an earthly problem and what's a problem that he has been sent to solve by his father. So it's a really cool shift. And then, you know, where Mary says, do whatever he tells you to the servants. That's like this. I don't care what you say. No, no, no. It's more like I'm accepting the reality that now my son, what he's doing is not what I want. What he is now doing is fulfilling his messianic duty to save, to redeem the world, which is important. You may keep reading. Oh, we don't have to. I mean, let's go. Yeah, bring it. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. 
So they took it out. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, Mm. and his disciples believed in him. Mm. This is so many parallels happening here. So you think about these water, what are they? Like jars? Huge water jars. Huge, 20, 30 gallons. How much is a orange bucket from like Home Depot. It's a five-gallon bucket, if I remember correctly. Okay, so if that's a five-gallon bucket, and that's really heavy for me. Okay, I'm just it might be to, a ten-gallon bucket. I'm just trying to picture in my mind. I'm not really good with the numbers. Just like thinking in my head. Them big old jars. <laughs> but you got to think. There are these jars that are used specifically for purification rituals. For the Jewish people, Jesus is using what people use for purification now to provide new wine. I mean, take it for what you want. It's foreshadowing the new covenant within my blood. Not only that, he's foreshadowing that the purification rituals are no longer done on what's on the outside. Jesus is coming to change the system of sacrifice and purification through his bloodshed on the cross. Like there's so many different things happening just within this text that's important for us to kind of at least look at and mention and move forward in all of these different things. Mm. Especially when he's like, the dude calls the bridegroom. So the groom of the wedding is like, hey, most people bring out the good wine and then give everybody the crappy wine once they're already drunk and having a good time, but you have saved the best wine for last. What's interesting is that even John talks about, hey, they didn't know, but the servants knew who performed the miracle and where the wine came from. I don't want anybody to get upset by this. Jesus didn't come for you just to have a good time. Like Jesus revealed himself to the servants and they saw his manifested glory the lowest of the low, the people who were doing whatever they could probably to get by, they were were servants. Those are the ones who first saw the glory manifested through Christ's miracles. The rich, the people who were enjoying and having that good time, they didn't know what was happening right before their eyes. And it's a good parallel to looking at this world and the things that glitter, the things that we chase, that offer us a good time, they allow, or not really they allow, they tamper our vision to see what God is doing and what he's manifesting, his glory, his goodness right before us. What kind of stuck out to you, Sydney? I know I rambled over a little bit. So the sentence, um, the last sentence that I read, and his disciples believed in him. So up until this point, do you think they kind of, sort of did? Or like what just made them want to follow him in the first place if they didn't fully believe? Mm. Because some of them left like 
a lot of stuff. How much in the weeds do we want to get? Because then what we really start talking about is we start talking about the irresistible nature of who Jesus is, that those who he calls, not determined upon their will, but upon the irresistible nature of who he is, they follow. A great example that I kind of think of is there are a couple different times within the gospels where it says his disciples believed. So instead of it being like, hey, they didn't believe who he was, the way that I kind of process it is there's like a renewal. Like it's a reaffirming, it's a renewal. Your your heart begins to change. I think of like, I mean, even if you start following Jesus because he has shown his irresistible grace and because you fall into the elect, as you get to know him, there kind of becomes this deeper relationship. You believe in him more, you trust him more because you've seen him reveal himself over and over and over again. That's kind of how my brain processes it. Um, I'd have to do a little bit more research, but that's surface level what I think when I read that based off of what else is in the Gospels outside of just the Gospel of John. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for me in my walk, there's been times where new things have been revealed to me about Jesus or his nature, or like God and who he is just from no one saying anything to me, just from it being revealed to me. Yeah. So I get that. But yeah, I don't think I've I've heard people preach on this many times, but I don't think I've ever heard someone talk about like all those parallels. Mm. It's mostly just about like what happened. Like just, yeah, he performed a miracle and yeah. not all of like the deep significant things. Cause you have to think like, we talked about this in the first one. Jesus is God. Like mm-hmm. they are one and God doesn't live in our time. Mm-hmm. Like he exists outside of time. He knows it all. So for us, it kind of seems like it's almost like, you know, when you're watching like a TV show or like a movie mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that's why that happened. Or that yeah. was like, you know, in the beginning to like talk about what's going to happen at the end. And then you go and rewatch it. Like you have to think how hard those writers really have to think and like storyboard those things out to make them make sense like that. Mm -hmm. And for Jesus, like, it's just, he knew, like he knew what was to come already. And so to do things like that, because those people in that moment, like he, you have to think like some of those things that he did or some of the things that are written here, like he knew that this Bible was going to be written for us to like sit down and read, like mm-hmm. we're sitting here reading right now to be able to to see all of that and yeah. pick that out years and years and years and years and years and years and years later. God big, me small. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But I love uh, looking at verses, verse 11 specifically. So like manifested his glory. Remember John in chapter one, verse fourteen. So what is it? If I remember correctly, don't 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 ruin it. it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. It's almost like John 
in the prologue said, hey, we've seen his glory, and now it's bam. Jesus began to manifest his glory just by something as simple as having servants and his disciples watch him turn water into wine in the midst of a great celebration. There was only a handful of people who probably witnessed the first miracle of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about it, too, is like Jesus didn't, you know, wave his hand over it Mm-mm. or like tap something three times or like say some magic word. Like he didn't have to say anything. And the other thing that I think is very kind of deep here is Jesus told them to do it. Mm. Like Jesus told them to go get the water. Jesus told them to to pour it out and to serve it. Just like Jesus is telling us, like, we have things that we need to do. Mm. All it takes is obedience. So even then, Jesus being right there physically on earth, he was already wanting people to be used by him. Yeah. And when I said, like, it all it takes is obedience, their obedience did not manifest the miracle. It was God's divine knowledge, his will, his purpose for the water be turned into wine. What's cool is that our obedience, we walk in step with the will of God. What would just happen if we just walked in obedience? Now, I'm not saying nobody's going to get no Bentleys, but (laughs) what I'm saying is, If Jesus can use some servants to turn water into wine, how much more can he turn, not turn, but how much more can he use co-heirs through his blood in the new covenant to change the world around them? Hmm. Think that's a good place? It's a good place to end it. All right. Well, guys, we love you. We can't wait to see you back here for the next episode as we... Oh, I'm getting stopped. Sorry. And also... If you are listening to us on Spotify, I found now where they have this community question where we can post pose a question and you can answer it. So I'm going to pose a question in there and I would love for you guys to answer it. I'd love to see your answers. I'm not going to tell you what the question is. Good. Don't spoil it. All right, guys. We love you and we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye.